Glad that you are with us this morning. If you're visiting, welcome. My name is Steve. I'm one of the elders here at Echo, and uh, so thankful that you're here to worship with us today. And this is the portion of our worship where we uh, mine the scriptures and try to see what the Lord is uh, saying to us today. And, and today, I want to uh, start off with four different things. And the first one might be uh, somewhat arbitrary, but we'll roll with it anyways. It's, um, it's, it's Lilo and Stitch. Now, in 2002, far before we had this great development of animation explosion, you know, that came with like that digitized um, computer animation. There were cartoons that were actually still drawn pane by pane, and this was one of these uh, featured uh, pictures. And I'm going to admit, which is interesting about this, is I'm going to talk about this even though I've actually never seen the movie, but you know, I, I don't know if any of you are fans. If you have, that's on you. But there is a Stitch who is an alien and uh, Lilo, who is not. And um, within this, the culminating scene is this idea that Stitch is trying to introduce who they are, and he introduces them by saying, this is my family, and I found them myself. But the reason that I know it is because I, I, hadn't, I, I hadn't seen it, but the, the preview would come in for this, you know, on television all the time, and I figured out that I could actually do a pretty mean Stitch impersonation, which is then I would just start to go, this is my family. I found them myself. So that's the only reason I even know that line in the movie is because I could do that voice. Was that good quality impersonation for a Sunday morning? I just want you to know, I have many talents and you're just being introduced to all of them. Somehow I'm going to make that transition to what today is, is Mother's Day. And it is a day And if you have forgotten and you still have the opportunity, maybe your uh, mother is on the West Coast, you know, you have a reprieve right here, you want to acknowledge this somehow. And this morning, we want to acknowledge this day. So if you're mom, we're glad that you're here. We're kind of cheap as a church, though, so there's no special flower. There's no gift certificate to go get a Starbucks after this is over. Like, you get what you get, and this is it. So hopefully that your family has made it special. Now, there's something behind that, though, and this isn't just our forgetfulness or our frugality. This actually nestles into our approach as a congregation, because I want to take this from Mother's Day to a third point, and that point is pain. Pain. Something that I think we really need to adjust, uh, 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 we need to approach on Mother's Day, because as much as for some of us there's a certain elation that comes with this holiday, for some people there's inward pain. Because there's pain of the past surrounding either familial relations that exist, those that do not anymore, or those that have never happened. There are people who, have not, who don't have the opportunity to become mothers. There are people who were mothers and they just had uh, just horrible relationships with their own children. Perhaps there's some of you today that have experienced loss of a child, a miscarriage, an abortion, something that has been traumatic within that. And what we tend to do as churches is try to lift up all the positive without sometimes grappling with the negative. And one of the things that we know by virtue of our ministry in the city is no matter how positive some things are, there's always pain connected to somebody. And what we are trying to do as a body of believers is not then to ignore, but to just address this. And if you are in that point to where there's an aspect of pain on Mother's Day, we address that now, and we're not going to be a church 
that, that, that pulls that out. You're allowed to grieve. You're allowed to experience loss. This can be that day for you. And, and I would say then that the general reaction that I see from people then who would say, okay, we're not going to do this is that, well, wait, you, you have to deal with it because families are biblical and because they're biblical, that's why we lift them up. And that's my number four point, which is biblical dysfunction. Because as much as me, we might want to say, well, families are biblical and there are these things that we need to heighten. Really, as we look within the scriptures, we see something different. In my experience, in a couple decades of church ministry, I would say that there's a box that exists in which people place their uh, their expectations of biblical family. Right? They're like, this is what it means to be a good husband and a good wife and a good child. And, And when you throw all that together, we have a great picture of biblical family. The problem is, friends... We're wrong. Most of us think this is where biblical family exists, but in reality, it is so far off the charts, my arrow is unable to point where it is. And you're like, wait, 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 that can't be true, but it is. Look at the stories of family in the Bible and tell me if they are things that you want to elevate within your life to model in your own. Adam and Eve worked out really well, except that their marriage didn't work out because they blamed each other for bringing sin into the world, and then they created a hellion that ended up killing his other sibling. Abraham, I mean, that's a beautiful biblical family because they went their whole lives in faithfulness, and at the end they were trying to figure out how to make this work, but at the same time, Abraham tried to whore out his wife, and then when they couldn't have kids, even though God said it's going to happen, said, let's solve it ourselves, and you can just go sleep around with other women, and that will help our marriage out. There's the whole story of Lot, and because we have a younger audience today, I don't want to go into fully of this because there's really some disturbing things within the family of Lot. When the daughters need to take dad to prom, it's messed up. Noah, right? It's this whole, no, Noah got his family together, and he saved them. And the first thing he did was a premedicated act of drunkenness. He built vineyards that took years just so that he could drink enough alcohol to get drunk, and then one of his sons stared at him and laughed at his naked body. Do I need to keep going? Because I can. We don't have all the time to talk about all the screwed up biblical families. And you're like, well, at least maybe Jesus was in a good family. You have Mary, Joseph, and baby Jesus. But when you open up the Gospels, you read that his siblings are like, that dude's crazy. We don't know why this guy is claiming to be the son of God. And it wasn't until after Jesus died and was resurrected that this family finally said maybe he was who he said he was. Really, friends. The only great examples of biblical family in the Bible (laughs) exist among pagan people who came to Jesus for help. The centurion who was just like, I love my daughter so much that I will give everything up. He was not a follower of God at the time. He was just an optimistic person. I say this for us to understand that on this day of days, however we might want to rewrite certain aspects of biblical history, to say that the biblical family is set out before us in perfect example is not true. But fortunately, I don't just deconstruct, I try to take us someplace positive. So especially if you're visiting, you're like, that guy is the most negative person in the world, and we're just getting to know each other. So there's some truth to this. But I promise that this morning, we're going to move forward, and we're going to do so by studying what biblical family really looks like, and we're going to do so in an obscure text in the book of Acts. So there's some blue Bibles in the pew. If you need that, you can turn to Acts chapter 8. Or you can look up on your smartphone and see those verses. We're going to be later within the text, starting in verse 26 or 27. 
just to give us some background in case some of us are unfamiliar. Acts is in the New Testament. So that's the Testament that talks about the coming of Jesus and the starting of the church. But this point in the book of Acts comes after Jesus lived his life, died, and resurrected. And this is the earliest days of the church. And specifically in this story, we're going to be introduced to some people that we might not know in those names of the church. We know Peter, and we know Paul, and we know Mary. But we have all these names that we know. We might not be as familiar with Philip, but the reason that this story is in the Bible is because we're trying to see what it looks like for the message of Jesus to spread across the world. And that's the story that is featured for us today. So if you will, Acts chapter 8 I'm going to read here this morning verses 27 to 29 to get started. So he, meaning Philip, started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Kandake, which means the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. So we have the introduction of Philip. And what's interesting is though, even though Philip is the messenger of God right here, really this story is not about Philip. It's about the individual in the story known only by an ethnicity and a job role in a situation in life. We read that this man was an Ethiopian. And again, understanding where this story takes place in the Middle East, in the land of Palestine today, connecting Europe and Asia, this is a different continent altogether, the continent of Africa. We have Ethiopia, which most of us know. At that point, they were known as the Kushites, and it's basically this part, what was known here as Ethiopia, was probably modern-day Sudan, okay? So this was far away from where he would normally be. So when the spirit moves Philip to go talk to this man, that we get this introduction that comes here. He's, we get his ethnicity, but then we get his situation in life, which is that he's a eunuch. Now, if I had trouble explaining with a mixed audience before about Lot, to explain the concept of eunuch is difficult. I was thinking about bringing a Ken doll, and basically that's it, Right? Now, we need to understand why this was a thing in the ancient Near East. And that is because such a person would undergo that. So it was not necessarily ever done without choice. It wasn't like, hey, you're going to have a bad day today. And no, this was a, I choose to become a eunuch because of the potential for what it meant. Because, and we see through the context of this, is that this person chose service for one of two roles, usually within the government. One role was used to uh, manage financial aspects of the empire. The other one was to manage the king's harem. Now we can understand managing the king's harem why you might say, I don't want that guy having any wrong leadings and therefore he needs to be without. I would offer you that a similar thing would exist within the finances because there's a mixture of who we are that sometimes unleashes our desires to do other things. And I think one of the reasons that eunuchs were also in charge of the finances is because there was a form of separation. Understand the separation in two different ways. Number one, if you're a eunuch, you are unable to procreate and you are not able to have children yourself. So it is not like you would steal finances from the empire to fund something for your own family because they did not exist because you could not have one. And similarly, at that point of decision, you separated from the family of your past. 
So this choice was a choice that would be made to give all to the kingdom. And you're asking, listen, I love kingdom. I pay my taxes, but there's no way I'm enrolling in this messed up government program. The reason why somebody would choose to do this is because it was the only way for them to transition from classes. Generally, somebody who was in this position would have started in a point of servitude. They would have perhaps been a slave. And if they chose this opportunity, the one thing that they would have been guaranteed is a brand new life on the other end. They would have had resources at their disposal. In fact, what we see the uh, Ethiopian eunuch is doing right here, he is reading from a scroll. And those two little things explain the reason why the eunuch would have made the decision. Because the idea that he was literate made him one of the more unique people in society at that time. Literacy rates were far less than they ever were now. So the idea that he had the schooling to be able to learn to read meant that he had had wealth at his access. And the second thing, the idea that he had in a possession a scroll, which was not you know, created by printer or facsimile. It was an individual copying down each and every letter of the scriptures by hand. And if they messed up, they couldn't just wipe that stuff out. They had to start all over. So the price of scrolls were so valuable. What this man gave up in familial relations, he got back within wealth and opportunity. And another opportunity that he has is why Philip comes across him. We understand that he's on his way to Jerusalem. And again, maybe you're familiar with the Bible. Maybe this just sounds like biblical things. It's like, doesn't everybody go to Jerusalem? No, especially if you're not from that area. If you're from the kingdom of the Cushites, it would be a, uh, if you split it up into walking 25 miles a day, it would take you 100, 120 days to go that distance. Even with a chariot, you're looking at a good month journey one way for the man to get from Cush to Jerusalem. But because of the access that he had to affluence and his kingdom, he was able to move with freedom and his choice was to go to Jerusalem to worship. I mean, that's an impressive thing, right? Like sometimes I won't get out of bed and roll over to walk up the street to come to church, but... This man was willing to go for the longest way. And here is the most fascinating thing about this, though. He loves this Lord so much, and it's not his God, because the God of the Israelites were not present in Cush. There was just so much that he had heard about it that he, he was like, this is fascinating, and I will go worship this God. But there was a problem. If he was from Cush, his complexion as African would have been darkened than that of the Jews, so they would have known he was an outsider. Simultaneously, there are certain requirements to being able to worship at the temple in Jerusalem. And we read about this in Acts, or Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, where the Torah, the scriptures say, no one who has been emasculated by crushing or cutting stuff may enter the assembly of the Lord. So this man is on a journey to go seek a God at a location that he cannot actually enter. He was forbidden because of his situation in life, and yet it was mo so important to him. He was reading about it in the scriptures, and he was on journey. And this is why the Spirit says, Philip, go talk to that dude and see what happens. We keep reading with me in Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read. I think it's verses 30 to 35. It's a page change for me, so be patient. Then Philip ran up to the chariot 
and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet, prophet, and he said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I, he asked, unless somebody explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. And this is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter. As a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And then the eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who's this prophet talking about? Himself or somebody else? And then Philip began with that very passage of scripture telling him about the good news of Jesus. There's so much here. And the first part is something encouraging because the man is just sitting there reading his Bible. And it's a simple question. Philip's like, the Spirit's telling me to go talk to this guy. I'm, you know, what do I do? The Roman road. How do I access this man for Jesus? And he's just like, do you know what you're reading? He's like, no, this crap's confusing. Does that not make you feel better? Because he's reading Isaiah. And if you've ever opened up the book of Isaiah, that stuff can be confusing. And I just need to tell you this is because our church is a little peculiar. There are some very educated biblical theological people in this congregation. You know, you'll drop into one of our Bible studies and they're like, well, really, in the original text right here, it means this. And and some of, you know, some of you are not. You're you're just like nodding because that's what I do when I'm around Christian people. Like this is what they do, right? It's talk about original texts. But understand is that as much as we value a deeper understanding of Jesus, if you are on a journey of that, we leave no one behind, okay? So if there's this point when you're just like, you know, the guy up front, the lady up front just talked about a lot of things, I still don't understand it, then ask. Okay, our goal is to make sure we understand what you're reading. It's not enough just to read this, but to really go deep into what it means. And that's what Philip's trying to do. He's like, hey, This guy can read. He has access to the scroll. He has everything as dispensed except the opportunity or the understanding of what is actually being said. So he says, do you know what you're reading? He's like, no, there's this text right here. And we know because of what was quoted here is that he was reading from Isaiah chapter 53. It's a fascinating chapter. I'm going to refer to this again right here, but, you know, just earmark that. We're not going to go into the entire chapter right now. But Isaiah 53 is a text known as that of the suffering servant. And it is a description, a prophecy of who Jesus would become and what he would do to sacrifice everything. So Philip has an absolute spirit-led layup right here. He's just like, I'm a guy who tells people about Jesus. Here's a guy who has a scroll and can read, and he's reading this text, and it's all about Jesus, and he's just like, can you just explain this to me? And Philip's like, I can do this. So he explains it to him, and apparently, this is what I love, all he says is that this is the good news of Jesus, that suffering servant, he would be the Messiah of God's people. He lived, he lived in this area recently. He lived life perfectly, he died, he rose from the dead. This servant sits at the right hand of God. And at that, the Ethiopian eunuch just basically comes out with saying, okay then, you are a compelling conversationalist. Water's right there, dunk me, baptize me. I want in on this. I'm going to the temple, I will be unable to go see that because of my ethnicity and because of, uh, of my lack of, of membership. But I can be a part of this group just by baptism? Water! Get it done. Now. I went to Bible college. 
I went to seminary. I have four degrees in the realms of theology and of academics. I have taught at Bible colleges and seminaries. I've had the chance to instruct it. Generally, this is what we function on right here is that this moment, right? It was just like, what, what's the story? Well, Philip was in the right place, the right time. God tell him, go talk to that person. That person was reading the Bible. Boom, touchdown baptism. Notch one for our team. On to the next one. That stuff will preach, yo. But it wasn't until recent years that I tried to look at this text not from the perspective of a theologian or an evangelist or a minister and to look from it from the perspective of the eunuch because I could relate more to Philip than the eunuch, right? But then you look at his eagerness and you're like, why? Why? And we fixate on this eternal call, right? Like, my life is meaningless. I need Jesus to change everything for my eternity. I'm going to buy in on this. But I'm going to tell you that it's much more nuanced than that. If you read in the text, there's a nuanced aspect. And you have to go to the original languages to understand this. But still, we can see it in verse 33. When it says of the suffering servant and it says of Jesus, in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? I told you the text from Isaiah 53 was known as a suffering servant. It took me years to really see the reason that the Ethiopian eunuch was so quick to respond wasn't because he saw just this picture of Jesus who could save himself from eternity, but he saw someone with whom he could relate He understood it because he was a servant himself and he had lived a life of suffering. Suffering, you ask? The dude's rich. He can take trips to Jerusalem. He can read. He has a scroll. Is he suffering? And I'm going to tell you that yes, he is suffering. Specifically, why is he reading these certain verses? Because he's reading about this servant who has all these horrible things that God's going to lift up. And the key thing he hones in on is the idea that I won't have any descendants. When I die, it's over. There's no, uni- there's no lineage for me. It all comes to a halt. We think it's about eternity. It's really about emotionality. And I don't think that's a word, but I'm going to Ends with a Y. He's driven by the here and now. See, the gospel, friends, the good news of Jesus is true on multiple levels. It is true for eternity. So one of the reasons that we are here and we talk about this is that we believe that when this life ends, there's more on the other side and we want part of that. But at the same time, the gospel is good news to us in the here and now and today. And for the eunuch, what he heard is, is that I am one who exists, who am outside the parameters. Even historians in Jesus' day, talked about eunuchs in such a way. This is Josephus, who's the most famous Jewish historian. Really, this is the anecdotal effort. He was a diva, so we don't even know if he was just showboating through some of this stuff. But he wrote this, that those who have made themselves eunuchs can uh, be had in detestation. And he's telling people, don't even have conversation with them. 
who've deprived themselves of their manhood and of that fruit of the generation which God has given to men for the increase of their kind. When he's going up to the temple to worship in Jerusalem, the prevailing thought was, you're a eunuch, you're not Jewish by nature. And by the way, you know how you became Jewish when you're a man? You were circumcised, so he has no opportunity to even access this at all. He hears the good news of Jesus that Philip delivers him, and it's a game changer in his life. Do you know why? Because he is living in such deep and dark loneliness that he is emotionally drained and spent. He has absolutely everything, but nothing at all. I'm going to tell you is that's the hope that Jesus brings as well. For those in cycles of loneliness, he brings belonging. He brings family. Do you realize that? That's why little Stitch is right. This is my family. On Mother's Day, day of days, my mother is still living. And she lives but 20 minutes from me. You know, I could drive across town. I will not see her today. I will call her dutifully. I have not sent a card yet, but I will make up for it later. I, I know how to make up those opportunities. I'll, 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 I'll sing her a song, Dylan, to make up for it. You know where I am on Mother's Day? I'm with you all. I'm with you. Now, this is the interesting thing about family, about church, what Jesus does in bringing us together as family and community is that this relationship, friends, becomes like family. 2004 started, but in 2005, Kelly and I, uh, pregnant Kelly and I, moved to this neighborhood to say we're going to start a church community. And when I say pregnant Kelly, it was interesting because the church started in October. Kaylin was born in February. So it was like right at the time, I've always said, I have two kids. One is Kaylin, and the other one is Echo. But, you know, I've changed that over the past couple years because however much I want to, you know, like milk that metaphor till it's dry, the reality is, is that I am not like Padre, Father Steve, parent of Echo. The reality is, is that my draw to this community now, and even though I'm not a minister, but as an elder and as a shepherd, is this idea that this community is sincerely my family. I have these moments of just interaction and joy with this group of people that I have as much joy with than, than the, the, the people that share my DNA, right? And that's why I love the verbiage around churches because, and, and you'll hear me say this, I don't say it as much, you know, I say, I, I call people brother all the time. Have you noticed? Like some of you, I'll be like, see you, brother, you know, uh, I don't do sister as much because I feel like I can't make it work as well. You know, because if I say sister, and then if I try to say sister, it's just right out. But I believe it because it's that familial connection that we have. Is that we have an, a connectivity because of this. And as such, when you have sorrows, I'm heartbroken. Right? When something happens in your life, when you lose a grandparent or a parent, you know, when you lose a, a, a job, when something happens to one of your children, it hits me, right? At the same time, I get such joy just out of being part of this community with my family, right? When, when, when Alicia gets her master's degree yesterday, you know, that makes me excited. When Max and Rachel are going to get hitched, it's good times. When, 
when Ryan gets published by some other magazine. Hooray! Whatever you have in your life, I, I find that exciting. But the reason is, is because this relationship is not normal. There is an echo church that exists as a business, a 501c3, filed with the state of Ohio. We file returns every year. There are certain legal obligations that we keep that exists because it has to. But the reality is, the draw here is the familial connection relation that we are able to keep. Churches have a hard time finding that balance. Because in our desire to grow and become something greater, you know, something larger, something more influential, we know that sometimes that's sacrificed at the, at the altar of family. And similarly, sometimes churches don't grow because we're so family-oriented that nobody can come in and join the family, and therefore things come to a halt. And for 13 years, being a part of this church, I've had to learn the ebb and flow of that. And as like the leader of this church, can I call that Larry, even though we're both shepherds? But you were, Larry was there from the beginning, I was, Kelly was, we were there from the beginning. A lot of you came on some things, and some of you have only been here a few years. But I'm still, you know, when I, I do stuff, like, it's like, hey, what's Steve think about this? And part of me loves that, because, you know, you want to be that. But then part of me, that's not the relationship I have with this congregation anymore. Because I realize I'm not the father, the padre. You know what I am? I'm a shepherd, and then I'm a brother and sister. In doing so, we've been trying to find out what is the best thing for Echo to make sure Echo's a thing. So... This is a preface. I use spiritual language and imagery to prep you and emotionally manipulate you to get you to a point of understanding. So I get to announce this morning a transition and unpack that for you. So some of you are visiting. This is what we call making it awkward. But you know what? You need to see this anyway because if your church isn't awkward, you're not doing it right. And one thing that we've done well over 13 years is making it awkward so this is good. We had a change about three years ago to where I was like still like the teaching elder. We did not have a lead minister. About two years ago, two and a half years ago, we selected an individual to be our lead minister. Good man of God. We were excited. <laughs> then his wife got a job and left town. But we hooked that dude up because I got him a job with my brother-in-law. He's happy now. He's doing his things. Good for him. Left us behind. So we pulled together a group of people and they said, let's find the next person. And that search took us pretty near to a good friend of mine, to Chris. And Chris, it was this idea to where we just started toying with the idea. Because I was meeting and kicking around stuff, and I just said, Chris, we need a minister. You know what? You need to be involved somehow. And we prayed about it and talked with him, went through other candidates, and we said, yes, we need to have a relationship with Chris. But we brought him on as an interim minister. Okay, interim being the important part of that title, because what interim says is that, you know what, there's the opportunity that could work out, but we leave ourselves distance to decide. I'm telling you, some of you have from bigger churches, you can't get this stuff at the bigger churches, because then you're like, we can't mess up, right? So it's like, there's so many considerations that we have to get this right. But I'm telling you, and uh, Dylan and Kendra could speak to this as staff, Larry and I as elders could, I'm hoping you could, is Chris has really helped our congregation along in just a few months. And he has been a good um, advisor, and he has come in, and he has surveyed the land, and he has d- dug this up. And a few months ago, we had a conversation. I'm like, okay, Chris, how's this going? He's like, I got some great news. My family loves this church. I'm like, that's great. But I know how news works. So I was like, just kick me in the shins, brother. He's like, I'm not your guy. And you know what I said? I said, that's great. Now you've got to find me somebody 
who is the guy? And he's just like, that's cool. I got the guy. Now, I'm not one to try to use spiritual manipulation, even though I just said I did. But honestly, honestly, don't you love when you're halfway through the sermon? Really, we're more than halfway. But don't you love when then they drop an honestly? You're like, really? Now, honestly? Let me tell you the honest part about this. Chris said a name, and my heart just went, huh. And you know why? It's because a year before, when we were trying to find somebody to come in and be the next lead minister of the church, I met with a guy, and I was kind of feeling him out. And I kind of like did what you do to animals to get them in the other room. You know, I left a trail of food right into the trap. My, my imagery is all over the place. But I talked to that guy. I said, let me tell you what we're looking at for Echo. And let me tell you the type of person we're looking you know, for. And let me tell you about the opportunity. And he was just like, cool. <laughs> he just wasn't interested. So we were like, okay, moved on. When Chris comes around and tells me I've got the next guy, he said the name of this guy. And I was just like, okay, like, look, I love him. It's good. But I kind of asked him a year ago. He doesn't want to do it. He's like, he does now. And I was just like, awesome. So one of the elders, it's my privilege to announce you today, is that we are hiring a new lead minister that will start in June. And yes, you haven't met him And that's how we do things around here sometimes because we're a small church. If you ever had to get in a small gathering, we can't have somebody come in and meet everybody and vet them. It just doesn't work that way. And you have to trust us as as leadership within this is that we have been in prayer. Some of you have met him. We've given this to the spirit and I kid you not, this is a person who the Lord has called here to the extent that right now, right now he is at a church in a full-time capacity, making more than Echo can afford to pay him, and he is resigning today and saying, I am going to become bivocational and get one to two side hustles so that I can come and be the lead minister at this church. So I say spirit in many things. I'm going to say that that's a spirit in another. So it's not like we're getting somebody who didn't have another gig. We're going to hire somebody there. He, you know, we tried to figure out, could we get him here? But I said, no, nope, we want to talk about this as a, as a church. And this is what I need to tell you. His, and Chris can, we'll introduce his name so you can Google search him and LinkedIn stalk. That's fine. Um, just give us a couple hours so that he can get it out from his networks. But here's the thing I just need to tell you is that when I moved that pregnant lady from the suburbs of Cincinnati to urban Cincinnati 13 years ago, there was one hope is that we need to build a community in the midst of the city for people who live in utter and hopeless isolation, to those who need connectivity, to those who need to experience the love of Jesus. And if you're part of this community, and you know if you're visiting today, you know some of you are from out of town, you know, vet your own church for this, but if you're visiting today, ask some of these people what keeps them at Echo, even though sermons go too long, and you know, we have all these little things that don't work, right? You know what works is that we've built that community. But what we are missing, friends, we've got to get the right people here to catalyze this for further, further things. We're not talking about growing, you know. We're not looking at multi-site stuff or anything. But we know that there are people that need this and we need to release them for it. 
So I'm going to ask Chris to come forward, but I just want to, before handing him, just for Chris to be able to say his, what he's learned in his background. But the, the process is going to be, is Chris is going to be with us still as a transitional minister. We haven't have a title yet. We didn't even give you a business card. You're not even on the website, so it doesn't even matter. But he's going to stay with us along the journey. And then our new minister is going to join us at the beginning of June. Um, but if you could just briefly say, you know, just your journey and his. Yeah, so a couple of things as Steve was talking that I thought um, I wanted to make sure that you heard. Number one, um, when I recognized that I wasn't your guy, it's not because of like Echo. It has absolutely, really, it has so much to do with who Echo is becoming and my day job is as this director of what we call back-to-back Cincinnati, so back-to-back's global orphan care and vulnerable children care, and it is taking so many of my days and evenings investing in orphaned youth and children in Cincinnati to be able to invest there that I can't give the church the type of community development pastor that the church needs. Like, I just don't have it. It's not in, it's, there's not two Tuesday evenings every week. It doesn't exist. And... So it wasn't a, I don't like it. It wasn't a, I don't want this to be the main thing. It's that my calling is on emerging generations. It always has been. It has always been about developing leadership out of generations that are coming behind me. And that's just kind of my thing. And that has, that's the number one role and responsibility for me. That's actually how I met your incoming minister, is that we've been working together for the past seven or eight years on developing leadership opportunities for emerging generations around Cincinnati and Dayton. And he and I have talked a long time about the difference between a church that is built around a program and a church that is a community of people who love to live life together. And he and I have loved to live life together. And we have bounced ideas off of each other and we have talked about what it means to really invest in a community. And as we were having those discussions he started to go on this journey personally of saying, I don't know that I'm called to youth ministry in somewhat of a suburban church anymore. I think I'm called to have a voice that's a little bit different. I want to build communities that deepen the space where everyone belongs. And I think Steve's message was perfect for that today of your next guy is coming in saying eunuchs belong, right? Like it doesn't matter who is on whatever pursuit of life they belong as part of the community of Jesus and he also believes in neighborhoods within the city of Cincinnati which is also why he was looking for a transition is that he was being called to move out of Price Hill into a suburban context in order to keep the current job that he has and he's saying this must not be for me God must be doing something new because I know I'm not supposed to leave my neighborhood I know I'm supposed to be in the urban core of Cincinnati, and I'm supposed to figure out what the church looks like within this context. So you have me who's looking and saying, I really want someone who believes in community development for Echo, because I can't offer that. I can't be at studies during the week. I can't be in the neighborhood all of the time right now. And then you have this other guy who's going, all I want to do is be in the neighborhood. And in our discussion... He said, if you could handle, like if someone was there to handle the Sunday morning programming, I really want to be in the neighborhood first, and then we'll figure Sunday morning out. Steve and I are wired to go, we need to make sure Sunday morning's taken care of, and we like it, we like to teach, we like to speak. So we thought, that's a great, that's a great partnership. So when we started that conversation with him, it was, how do I stay involved and help that part? 
so that we can actually have community development and neighborhood investment happening as the number one thing. And that's what he brings to the table. Are you telling them his name or am I? Like, how's that working? So my friend's name is Seth Milhoen. He has been on staff at Lifespring Christian Church for the past five years. He was a volunteer there before. Deep God thing as to why God is moving in this is that when he moved to Cincinnati, his first, the first church that he came to was Echo. And he came in with his wife. His wife was very pregnant at that time too. It's kind of a thing. If you come here and you're not ready for that, you might want to leave, right? Like, so pregnancy is coming. Um, and so his wife was pregnant, and he says that the number one thing that he remembers about Echo was that no one came to the hospital when they were having their baby because they weren't really known in the community except Steve. Steve was there, and he was present. A job took them to Florida, and then when they returned, it came in with this life spring opera to be part of a youth ministry so they didn't come back here. But Echo has been rooted in his heart since he moved to Cincinnati because the senior minister at the time of Echo said, Seth and Michelle, you matter. You're part of this community. We're here with you. And that has stayed with him for 12 years um, since that moment happened. And so it's the opportunity for him to come back and be a part of this community. He said, yeah, I'm ready to make the jump into bivocation. Because that was the second thing I wanted to make sure that you knew from what Steve was saying. Like, if you, if you list that out, he's leaving full-time ministry where he is set, and all of these things are good, and he's going to come work bivocationally for you, and be the, is like, this is his first time in a senior role. You might go, well, do we want him? Like, that's, he's kind of giving up, like, the, like, status of ministry to come here. And the answer is yes, because he's sacrificing program-driven church work for community development, kingdom influence, and he can't wait to get started. Good? Hold on, you're going to pray. So, a few things. And by the way, there's, so we're going to wrap up right here because I appreciate your patience, but a few things. Number one, there's a lot of stuff getting ready to happen with the Kids Fest. We're going to pass out flyers in a few weeks. You know, you're becoming part of this family. One thing is it's tough to stay connected there. We have an, on our website an email listserv that we send out updates all the time. So you opt in, you know, if you need to do that, go to our website, go to the email, uh, sign up, sign up. We're going to keep you busy. So there's still stuff happening, but we needed to outline this. Number two, your response, and we're not going to do formal Q&A. If you have questions, Larry's going to be there. I'll be up here. You can ask Chris about what's happening right here. So just be patient because, again, we're changing things but you know what happens in family, right? Like the, the, the connectivity remains, but the family always changes. But we're going to keep the best about it, and we're going to get this moving forward. So the one thing I need from you is that you need to start praying. Because the reason we're doing all this, and by the way, there's a risk inherent, because we're going to push up our budgeting. We're going to dip into reserves over the next couple years. All of this, we're leveraging it because we understand that now is the time. Walnut Hill, this area is booming with people who are disconnected and need Jesus. And we're going to leverage it all for this opportunity. And we're going to continue to see that do everything. So you need to pray. And if you're visiting today and you never come back, because and I, when I say never come back, some of you are from out of town, but will you pray for Echo Church like the next few weeks? So he's going to wrap up his ministry, a five, six-year ministry in the next couple weeks, and then he's going to join here with his three daughters um, and, and integrate himself in. And you will, I, Chris can attest to this, this is the thing, and this is why it's been, you all are amazing at being a community that expresses love, and you will love him. That's not what I'm worried about. 
I'm just coming in as let's pray for all this because we as your leaders, as a congregation, are trying to put all this in because we realize, friends, it's so important. We have family. Other people need family. So we'll continue to announce more and more about this, but we just wanted to tell you this wasn't meant to be some sort of surprise, but we did because we had so much to manage. And just today, just now, he's had to tell his whole church, like, hey, I've been here. I've been a part of this community for years. I'm leaving because of this opportunity. And this is going to be good for his family and for our family as well. So thanks for worshiping today. Will you do me a favor? Will you pray for us? And, and one last thing, because we'll talk, we'll, we'll pretend Chris has died at some other point, because we'll, we'll <laughs> but uh, he's going to be around, so we don't even have, like, it's going to be for a while, so it's not like he's going anywhere soon, because he's going to help us manage this. But this process, because uh, some of you were on the selection committee, we went through this, it's like, what, you know, like, how did all this happen? We really felt it was the Spirit's call to bring Chris here, and really coming through all this now, I see that what God was doing through Chris is helping prepare Seth to be our next leader. And that's just, that's, I, I plan stuff. I strategize. I've been in church industry for 20 years. You can't do that, people. I think the Lord opened a door to bless all of us in our ministry. So I thank you for being a good friend, but for serving us and for continuing to serve us. Why don't you stand? Yeah, let's stand and pray. God, we praise you for being um, the, the God who finds us <clears throat> sitting on the side of the road between two places. Being the God who meets us where we are so that you can show us where you really wanted to take us in the beginning. Just like in the story today. And so I know in this moment, it's, a, it's that moment on the road for us as a church that uh, we were going a direction and you're meeting with us and taking us in the direction that you're calling us. And we praise you for being the God who cares enough to do that, but also for the God who is resourced enough to provide who and what we need in order to go where you're calling us to go. So continue to speak life through Echo in the community and creativity that this church, your bride, brings into this space. And we pray for the families that surround this church and this community that, uh, that they would know you because of what's happening next. We pray for Seth and Michelle as they celebrate a season of ministry and mourn the relationships that will change through that, but also that you give them excitement into where they're going and moving forward. Give us in this room courage to ask the questions that we need to ask, to be at peace with where you're taking us, and to give us the, the courage to step out on faith in the direction that you're going. It's in your name that we pray this. Amen.